1: Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. You may not realize it, but more than 1 billion people around the world are disabled. Yet there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be disabled. Many of us are fearful, confused, and unsure about what to say and how to act around someone with a disability. On this episode, we'll demystify disabilities with our guest, well-known disability rights activist, blogger, and speaker, Emily Ladow. Emily's work has been featured by the New York Times, CNN, and U.S. News and
0: World Report, to name just a few. She is, in her words, getting non-disabled people to stop treating disabled people as a weird cross between precious gems and alien creatures. She is the author of a new book called Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. Emily, we thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk with both of you. Well, we, we feel the same. And we wonder if you can tell us about your story
0: and why it is that you're so dedicated to demystifying disability.
2: Absolutely. So I have a physical disability called Larson syndrome. It's a genetic joint and muscle disorder, and I was born with it. My mother and my uncle, her younger brother, also have the same disability. And you might think, oh, that's such a tragedy. But for me, it's just a part of my life and part of what makes me who I am. And Because I have this part of my identity, I am, as you mentioned, incredibly passionate about educating people about the disability experience and letting everybody know that it's part of what makes humanity so beautiful and diverse. Since your mom
1: also has Larson syndrome, I'm curious to know how she prepared you for what it was going to be like to go to school and what her experience was like, if that was helpful for you.
2: It was so helpful growing up with somebody who was this built-in role model who taught me how to be an advocate for myself. And that's not something that I take for granted, but it's also an interesting dynamic because I was able to look towards the path that my mother took. But at the same time, we had very varied experiences. She was born well before the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is major civil rights legislation for the disability community in the United States. And I was born just a year after the passage of that legislation. So I've never known life without it, whereas she grew up entirely without it. And so I think that set us up very differently in terms of how we came to see ourselves and how we experienced the world around us. But in terms of having someone to look to who could teach me what it was going to be like as I navigated the world as I grew up, my mother was absolutely the person that I looked to for that.
0: You know, Emily, we are all different whether we're disabled or not. So how do we know if someone wants to talk with us about their disability and educate us or simply wants us to ignore it?
2: That's such a good question, and as you mentioned at the beginning, there's a billion-plus disabled people worldwide, and so that means that you're going to get a billion-plus different opinions and experiences on what it means to be disabled and on whether somebody embraces that identity, wants to communicate about that identity, whether they consider it an identity at all. And so the best thing to do is to treat every human being as an individual. I might use the term disability community as an umbrella term simply because it's easier to say that when I'm speaking, but that doesn't mean that everybody has the same preferences about whether or not they want to speak openly about it, disclose personal and information, so we can't demand that information of people, but certainly If you have questions, you know, take it on a case-by-case basis. Determine how you have a relationship with that person and whether that relationship is conducive to having this kind of open conversation. Ask yourself before you ask questions, is this something that I would ask somebody without a disability? Is this something that I need to know? Am I asking because I want to help, because I want to support, or am I just being a nosy, busybody, right? You know, Look at it as you would look at any other conversation or communication. Be polite and respectful and think about the individual context. Gosh, I thought it was so interesting
1: when you said that it's like people are erasing your identity if they tell you they don't see you as disabled. Can you tell us more about how that feels? Because I think most people are trying to mean that as a compliment, but but I totally get what you're saying. I just hadn't thought of it. Yeah,
2: You know, it's funny because when I was younger, the biggest compliment that you could pay me was, I forgot you were in a wheelchair or I don't see you as disabled. And to me, that meant that you were seeing me as fully human. But as I've gotten older and as I've become more self-assured and I've begun to embrace disability as an identity and a community and a culture, I found myself realizing that if somebody was saying they didn't see this huge part of me and if that was what it took in order for them to see me as being fully human, then that meant that they really weren't seeing me as all of who I am. My disability is not something that I can take off and put on a shelf when I go to bed at night. It's something that is always a part of me. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a negative. It shouldn't be a source of shame. But if you're telling me that in order to respect me, you need to push past this huge part of what makes me who I am and what defines so much of my identity, then you're essentially saying, well, I see some of you, but not all of you. And so I've since been telling people I understand that you mean well when you say that but you know don't erase this part of me celebrate it as part of me
0: we're glad you're part of our nobody told me family of listeners and we're excited to tell you about Lomi the world's first smart waste appliance if you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment you have to check out Lomi
1: Lomi is a countertop electric composter and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my
0: Lomi because just about anything I'd put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my loamy, I throw out way less garbage.
1: Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my loamy turns my food waste into nutrient rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see.
0: I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is
1: so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If
0: you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner
1: that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's
0: $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I.
1: Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com NTM
0: and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. What are some of the other uncomfortable or, or maybe even downright insulting terms that people have used around you that you would like
2: to do away with? Gosh, there are so many things that I wish people would reconsider. For me, the biggest one because I am a wheelchair user is that people so often say that I am wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair and I understand that society has put this narrative upon wheelchairs that they are something that we use when there's something wrong with us it's something that we use because we can't do something we forget that a wheelchair is really a source of freedom a wheelchair is exactly how I get around the world. I'm not bound to it. I'm not confined by it. In fact, if I didn't have a wheelchair, I would be bound. I would be confined. And so I want people to understand and recognize that my wheelchair is a tool that I use to navigate the world. It's my freedom. And to call me wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair denies such a, a rich and robust part of my experience. So it's okay to just be a wheelchair user because that's what I am. I use a wheelchair to get around. I think a lot of us think
1: of the Special Olympics when we think about somebody who's disabled. And what do you think can be done to show all the other amazing skills that disabled people have?
2: The media perpetuates a few narratives of disability. There is the inspiring disabled person, in many cases, an athlete who they portray as having overcome all of the odds and being athletic in spite of their disability, even though if you think about it, they're being an athlete as a disabled person. And then you have the narrative of pity, the disabled person who is trapped inside their house and contributes nothing to the world and leads this meaningless and sad life. And that's what the media wants you to think of disability. It so often lacks this nuance. And so I really urge people to reconsider these framings and recognize that disability cuts across all other identities. That means that we have such rich lives outside of just our disability experiences. We're not simply overcoming. We're not simply a tragedy. We're full and complex human beings who do a whole lot and bring a whole lot to this world. But at the same time, I like to challenge the notion that, disabled people cannot live a full life while also reminding people that we have these pretty arbitrary standards for what a full life and one where we contribute to society actually looks like. Because yes, it's true that disabled people can get an education and get a job, get married, have a family, have a house, have a social life. But at the same time, we have decided as a society that that is what a full life looks like. If a full life looks like something else for a disabled person, if they don't meet all these Arbitrary standards, that doesn't mean they're not living a full life and they're not contributing to this world. It means that they're living a full life and contributing in a way that works for them.
0: Our Nobody Told Me conversation continues as we tell you about Paired, the relationship app for couples. How does it work? Well, you and your partner download the app, pair together, and every day Paired gives you questions, quizzes, and games to have fun, stay connected, and deepen your conversations. It's simple and often hilarious and heartwarming. Each day you get a quiz to play or a question to answer, and you can't see your partner's answer until you answer yourself. Whether you're just a few dates in or have been together a long time, it's time to lighten the mood and have fun with your partner by using paired. My husband and I have been together for decades, and we really enjoy using paired. Let's face it, you need to work to keep a relationship fresh and growing, and paired helps a lot with that. We love the questions Paired asks us to answer about each other, like what's something you admire most about your partner, and what's one new activity you could try together this month. If you're in the younger age group and have a newer relationship, Paired is a wonderful way to get to know someone better. You might really like the Paired quizzes about managing jealousy, saying sorry, and gender roles at home. Try it out to spark meaningful conversations with your partner every day with fun, research-based conversation starters. Paired has hundreds of questions, quizzes, games, and tips curated by acclaimed relationship therapists and academics. And Paired has a special offer for our Nobody Told Me listeners. Head to paired.com/nobody to get a 7-day free trial and 25% off if you sign up for a subscription. Just head to P-A-I-R-E-D dot com slash nobody to sign up today. Connect with your partner every day using Paired. A happier relationship starts there. Just head to P-A-I-R-E-D dot com slash nobody to sign up today. Get a seven-day free trial and 25% off if you sign up for a subscription. In your book, Demystifying Disability, One of the pieces of advice you give is don't stare, but don't make a point of looking away. Tell us more about that.
2: It's a delicate balance because the reality is we are all human beings. We are all interested in and made curious by things that are unfamiliar to us. That being said, There's no need to make a big show of staring at somebody, but there's also no need to make a big show of averting your eyes. I think what happens when people see someone who has an apparent disability is they don't know what to do with themselves. Should I look? Should I not look? Should I pretend they don't exist? Should I, you know, make an effort to go up and help them, even if there's no indication that they need help? There's this whole inner narrative, I think, that sometimes goes on in people's heads when they see someone with a disability. And I think it would help if I just reassured people here, act like you usually would be yourself, be normal, be cool, do whatever it is that you would do in any other circumstance. If you would glance over at somebody and smile or nod, go ahead and do that. If you would keep going and mind your own business, do that. You know, there's no need to overthink. I think that's what our downfall is too often when it comes to interacting with anybody who appears different from us in any way. We overthink. We forget their humanity in that moment. Don't forget their humanity.
1: I didn't have anybody who was disabled in any of my classes growing up. And so nobody really said how we're supposed to act. And I think for a lot of schools, it's the same way. If there is somebody who's disabled, you address it. But if not, it's just not part of the curriculum. What can be changed for schools so that we start kids young knowing what to do and seeing disabled people with different talents like everybody else has?
2: There's a total lack of conversation in so many schools when it comes to disability. It's not part of a lot of mainstream curricula. It's not part of history lessons. And... There's definitely work to change that. And there are initiatives that focus a lot on social-emotional learning and bringing disability into the conversation when you're talking about all of the diversity that we encounter in the world. So that's what I really encourage teachers to do. Integrate it into your curricula, include it in your lesson plan, but at the same time, There's no need to tokenize either. When I was growing up, I often felt like I was everybody's teachable moment because I was the only kid with an apparent physical disability in my mainstream public school class. And so that often meant that I was made an example of. And I never felt quite right about that because it didn't feel like meaningful inclusion or really teaching The kids around me, anything. It just sort of felt like I was being ostracized because I had a disability. And so rather than do that, make it a natural part of the conversation, an authentic part of the conversation. You know, include imagery of disabled people in your lesson plan. Include disabled historical figures in your lesson plan. Talk about how disability is a part of the population. Don't leave disability out of your conversations, and then it will become a natural part of things.
0: One of the eye-opening things from your book was how you say that your wheelchair is an extension of your personal space. So in that regard, what are some of the things that people do that are simply wrong?
2: Gosh, yes. My wheelchair is absolutely an extension of my body. Sometimes I feel like I have a bit of a sixth sense in that I can tell if somebody is touching it or leaning on it without even really seeing them do it. And The reality is that anybody who uses a piece of mobility equipment should be afforded the same respect and personal space that you would afford somebody who does not use mobility equipment. I often give the example, if somebody was just walking down the street unaided by mobility equipment and you pushed them and you said, hey, get out of my way. Or hey, can I just move you from point A to point B? That would be kind of unnatural, right? But as soon as somebody has a wheelchair, you seem to think, oh, I can just push them out of the way. Oh, I can walk up behind them and grab their chair. I can lean on them. I can hang my coat on them. And I've often felt like I'm suddenly relegated to being a piece of furniture but I'm not a piece of furniture. I'm a person who uses wheels to get around. So if you wouldn't do something to somebody who does not use mobility equipment, or if you wouldn't do it without asking first, the same should apply to somebody who uses mobility equipment. It's that simple.
1: That absolutely makes sense. And I actually have never thought about it that way. You know, I wasn't familiar with the term systemic ableism until I became familiar with your work. Can you explain a little bit about what that is?
2: Absolutely. So first of all, to talk about what ableism is, it's, and I define it rather simply, actions and attitudes and circumstances that devalue someone on the basis of disability. And so in terms of interpersonal interactions, it can look like making nasty comments it can look like excluding people, right? But there's also systemic ableism, which is to say that ableism is very much baked into the systems that we operate within. The education system, employment systems, transportation, voting, healthcare, you name it, so many of the policies and practices that we have in place have ableism baked into the system. And a perfect example of that is in fact transportation systems. When you think about how most people rely on some form of transportation to get around, and in many cases rely on public transportation to get around, many public transportation systems are not fully accessible to people with many different types of disabilities, myself included. And so that's the way that ableism is baked into the system, because it's essentially saying, We're not going to make this system accessible to you. You're not able to use it. Therefore, that's going to have a domino effect on so many other areas of your life, from socialization to getting to and from a job to accessing things like doctor's appointments. That's what systemic ableism looks like. It's when one system creates barriers for disabled people and then has a ripple effect in other areas. You would like us to
0: stop using the word handicapped. Why is that important?
2: You know, I am very, very passionate about language. I believe that the way that we talk about things shapes how we think and the way that we think shapes how we talk. And so when we're using a term like handicap, we're really leaning on these very heavily outdated ideas of what disability actually is. The same thing goes for terminology like special needs or differently abled, right? When we are avoiding saying the word disabled, we're avoiding saying what it is, a disability. And so rather than use an outdated term like handicapped or use a euphemism like differently able, their special needs. Although I give the caveat that some people do prefer those terms and that's okay. It's not my preference, but if it's somebody else's preference, I respect that. You know, let's say disability. Let's not continue to stigmatize and avoid that word. It's not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. Say disability.
0: We thank you for being part of our Nobody Told Me Family of Listeners, and we want to take a minute to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. That's Hover, spelled
1: H O V E R. Have you ever thought about starting your own business or creating a brand, sharing your wealth of knowledge with the world, using your years of experience to create something for yourself? Hover wants to help you take the first step in getting your ideas off the ground. If you
0: have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business you want to take online, the The first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes this super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy-to-use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. You'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your business, one that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your
1: brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. If you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. In addition to the classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art, with over
0: 400 more to choose from. Secure, simple, and reliable, Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or
1: business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Purchase. Maybe you want to buy a domain
0: name for someone as a gift for the holidays. You may even want to secure your child's name as a domain name for privacy purposes. Again, that's hover.com slash nobody to get 10% off your first hover purchase. That's hover spelled H-O-V-E-R dot slash nobody for 10%
1: off your first purchase process of finding jobs and getting equal pay different for disabled people?
2: Gosh, there's so many layers there. And I think the key here is to recognize that we need to go back to the concept of systemic ableism. Everything from access to education, education, which leads to jobs, access to transportation, right? Things like that, Disabled people are also more likely to live in poverty. Disabled people also have to navigate difficult policies that limit the work that they can do if they are to receive certain care services. So there's so many things that they need to grapple with before we even get to the actual aspect of finding a job. And then once we're searching for jobs, we have to grapple with discrimination, with assumptions about what disabled people can and can't do, with value judgments on the type of employee that somebody with a disability is going to be. And so when you have all of these compounding factors, it definitely makes finding a job more difficult as a disabled person. But the disability community is in so many ways a very... Very untapped talent pool and I really really encourage people to rethink their biases and assumptions and recognize that disabled people are viable job candidates just like anybody else.
0: A couple of other pieces of advice that you have in the book Demystifying Disability are don't pretend you get it and don't pray over disabled people. Can you elaborate on those two things?
2: Absolutely. In terms of not pretending you get it, what I'm saying here is not that you should not be an empathic human being, but it's very different to be a supportive person than to say, I understand what you're dealing with or going through because I fell and broke my leg and was in a cast for six weeks and used a wheelchair. And wow, it's really hard to get around. So I completely understand now your lifetime of disability experience. You know, that, that's not the kind of human connection that I'm looking for, because it's not the same as a lifetime of disability experience. And, you know, if you did, in fact, have a challenging time where you in the physical injury and it opened your mind up to the fact that the world is definitely not a very accessible place for a lot of people, then my question for you is, what are you doing with that knowledge? You know, it's one thing to say, I get it. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm going to advocate for them to put that curb cut in place. Hey, I'm going to advocate for this to become more accessible, you know, putting a ramp at this local coffee shop or whatever. And in terms of praying over people, again, I believe it comes from a good place. In so many cases, it comes from being an empathic and caring person. But it also stems from this assumption that my disability is something wrong with me or something bad that happened to me or a curse put upon me. And that's not true. It's just part of who I am. And so if you're praying over me because of my disability, then you're asking me to heal or telling me that my life is a tragedy. And that just doesn't add up for me. You know, I don't want you to pray for me. I just want you to treat me like you would treat anybody else and be a kind and accepting person and recognize that disability is part of my life. And I'm okay with that.
1: You clearly knew that something needed to change with how our world views disability since you became an advocate at 10. Are you more optimistic about the world view on disability at this point in your life than you were when you were a kid or is it pretty much the same?
2: To be honest, I don't know if I can ever fairly say that I am an optimist when it comes to this. I would say I'm a realist. And that means that I believe we need to meet people where they're at. Believe me, I would love to put myself out of business. I would love to not focus on disability advocacy day in and day out because disability would simply be part of society without having to to jump through all of these hoops to get people to accept it. But I recognize that we're not there yet. And so I'm okay with educating. I'm okay with having these conversations, with bridging these gaps in knowledge. And I think that takes someone who is realistic. I firmly believe that we have the power to change minds and hearts. I firmly believe that changing one mind at a time is incredibly important and valuable. I just think we still have a ways to go, but I also think we're going to get there.
0: Emily, our show is called Nobody Told Me and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about disability or life in general that you had to learn the hard way that you'd like to pass on to others?
2: I love that question. And despite the fact that I grew up with a mother who had a disability, and despite the fact that as I continued to get older, I learned to be an advocate for myself and began to make friends within the disability community, nobody told me that it was okay to love myself for who I am. I wish that somebody had said, Your disability doesn't make you any less worthy as a human being. You are whole and you are valuable exactly as you are. I
1: love that. Emily, you've done such a service with this. And and I have to say, I learned so much more than I have from just about any book by reading yours. And I listened to a lot of podcasts that you had done as well and really appreciate what you're doing.
2: Thank you. That means so much. And I'm genuinely so grateful. Anytime somebody is willing to open their mind up and open their heart up and have conversations about disability, even if, as you mentioned at the beginning, it might feel unfamiliar or, you know, intimidating. That's exactly what I want to get rid of. I just want people to understand that it's a natural part of the human experience. And when it comes to interacting with disabled people, just be yourself. This is a topic that my mom and I have both wanted to know more about, how
1: we should address these things, if at all, but we felt uncomfortable asking. So gosh, talk about something that, like I said, is just so needed. I could go on and on. I just think you're wonderful. And Emily, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet?
2: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So you can find me on Facebook at Words I Wheel By. You can find me on Twitter at Emily underscore Ladau, L-A-D-A-U. And you can find me on Instagram at Emily Ladau, no underscore. And I'm really always happy to continue these conversations. My hope is that demystifying disability is a starting point for conversation, but by no means an endpoint. And just one tool in a wealth of resources that are out there to keep your learning journey about disability going. And you also have a website too, right? I do. It's emilyladow.com. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Well, Emily, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks for having me and for being willing to tackle this topic on the podcast. I'm really grateful.
0: Our deepest thanks to Emily Ladow, whose new book is called Demystifying Disability what to know, what to say, and how to be an ally. And again, her website is emilyladau.com, spelled L-A-D-A-U. I'm Jan Black.
1: And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody
0: Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.